That good for the rest of you? Yeah. Oh, thank you very much. Our text this morning is Matthew chapter 27. We'll be reading verses 27 through 44. We'll also be looking at the same account that was a part of it that was given to us through the Holy Spirit using Luke in chapter 23. So you may want to put your fingers there. Matthew chapter 27. Let's pray together. O Lord, our God and Father, as we come in this house, together in this house, seeking to come into your holy presence, may you grant that our hearts be sprinkled clean with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior. Grant that we have true access to you and acceptance by you. For we have, as we have already declared, all sin, we have all come short of your glory. And we know that if you should mark iniquity, no one could stand, Lord. So grant that our sins may be real to us, real to us in all their heinous defilement. Give us, oh God, a broken spirit and a contrite heart which we have heard from your word today. It is pleasing unto you. Fill us this day with a humble spirit for you, we know, oh God, resist the proud and you give grace to the humble. So allow that we, your people, may confess unto you our sin in all sincerity and in truth. Grant that we be delivered from the pride of self-righteousness which we may entertain because of our righteousness in the world or the righteousness that we present. Oh, grant God, grant, oh God, that we know that in us is no good unless you implant it there by the effective work of your grace. Therefore, O Lord, let us come to you, looking to you, for the supply of all our needs. And may our needs be so fully supplied out of the riches that are in Christ Jesus, that we may rejoice with a joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. We pray that we may Glorify the Redeemer, not taking to ourselves anything that doesn't belong to us. Grant that we may give to the Lord Jesus Christ all glory and honor and praise, for it all belongs only to Him. And allow this day, allow that He may be lifted up as a Son of Man, that whosoever believes in Him, in Him, may have 
eternal life. It's in His precious name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Matthew 27, I mean 23, again, I'm sorry. I'm 27, verse 27. You there? Okay. <clears throat> Jesus had been in before Pilate, the judge. He's heard the voice of the people crying out, Crucify Him. We'll not have this man to rule over us. Give us Barabbas instead. He's heard Pilate say, Why do you want to crucify Him? I see nothing wrong in Him. And yet they preferred a murderer instead of Christ. And the Jews have said, let his blood be on our heads and upon our children's heads. And so it has been and is to this day. And then we find in verse 27, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion, that would be some 600 men, they gathered the whole battalion before him and they stripped him and they put a scarlet robe on him and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. I want you to be sure. We need to be sure that we always remember that when the Son of God was treated this way, it was that He might take upon Himself, upon Himself, the disgrace, the humiliation, and the death eventually, that we deserved. We can bring nothing to God. Nothing. As long as we are dead in our sins and trespasses and defiled in our iniquities. And it is because, it is because our Lord allowed Himself to be treated in such a way as this, spat upon, struck, and abused, mocked and made fun of, it is because of this, and only because of this, that God today acknowledges us and reckons us as His children. Amen, somebody. The only reason. This, my friends, is where our confidence lies. In what he did. And then we're told, as they went out, they found a man in verse 32 of Cyrene, Simon by name. And they compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. 
And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, mocked him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests and the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is a king of Israel. He is a king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Cast the same words, the King James says, into his teeth. And so we find that from Pilate's hall, he was led to a place that was called Golgotha. The place of a skull. The place we know where criminals were punished. There's a lot of reasons put forth as to why it was called the place of the skull. But we'll not get into that. Just simply understand that it was a place where criminals was punished. And the Holy Spirit, if you look there with me, keep your finger in chapter 27 of Matthew and look with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 13. We find the Holy Spirit reminding us there that the Lord Jesus Christ was taken outside of the city. Verse 11 through 13. Hebrews chapter 13. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through His own blood. Therefore, let us go to Him outside the camp and bear the reproach that He endured. We're reminded that the Lord Jesus Christ Himself as a sacrifice was taken outside of the city gates. It's the place that we read where the sacrifices that were made were burned and then the blood of those sacrifices were brought into the sanctuary to wipe away the sins of the people. And such sacrifices were likened as to a curse. And so they were cast well away, well outside of the city gates. And so we see indicated to us here that our Lord Jesus Christ was cast out as someone who couldn't be tolerated. Someone who was considered among men a vile man. A man unworthy of human company. Not to be received in good company. And we notice that the book of Hebrews encourages us by the Holy Spirit that we should do what? Go outside the camp and be with Him there. But we see something else following that that we just read. We read that that as He... Pass, the people that passed by mocked him. They mocked him. They wagged their heads. And among these people were the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. 
the religious leaders of the day were mocking him. And they were saying why they mocked him. They said, if he is the Son of God. He had heard that before. Remember the first time he heard it from the enemy's lips? He had heard from the Father at his baptism. There was a voice from heaven which said, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And then the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. And the first temptation that the devil presented to him was the, were these very words. He said to him, after fasting for 40 days in the weakness of his flesh, if you are the Son of God. Well, the first, last thing he had heard from the Father is that he was the Son of God. And then the devil says, if you are the Son of God, speak to these stones that they might become bread. It wasn't the first time that he had heard that. And when he had defeated the enemy in the wilderness... The devil left him, Satan left him for a more opportune time. And this was the more opportune time in Satan's eyes. It was the time when he says, if you be the Son of God, if you're the Son of God, make this happen. He was trying to shipwreck, shipwreck the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. Make him utterly despair. They said, if He's the Son of God, let Him come down. Let Him save Himself. He saved others, but He can't save Himself. If He's the King of Israel, let Him show it. What do we see here? These priests. We see blind, wretched men. Men possessed by Satan himself. Priests who should have been messengers of God. Scribes. Men who were had been to seminary, trained in the letter of the law. But in seeking to destroy the Lord Jesus Christ, they showed how they trampled on the Holy Scripture and how they trampled upon the religion in which they so gloried. The suffering Savior, the picture that's presented in the Old Testament, by Isaiah 53, Daniel 9, Zechariah 12 and 13, and other places, that's not anything that's obscure. It's plain to see that the Messiah was going to be a suffering Savior. I think that we can learn something. We can learn something useful from these blasphemies that these men were setting forth. And it was because our Lord, if He is the King of Israel, they said, let Him come down. I would suggest to you that it was because our Lord chose to be our King that He didn't save Himself. They shouted, let Him save Himself if He's the King of Israel. And we asked then, well then, why did, why did He endure so, such a bitter, such a shameful, such a Horrible death, not sparing himself. Why? It's because only by this ransom could we be set free. Only by the ransom that he was making. Only by the sacrifice that was being made there by God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit could we be ransomed. He had to be lifted up. John chapter 3 verse 14 and John chapter 3 verse 16. The Son of Man 
is going to be lifted up. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, that whoever believes in Him might have eternal life. This is going to happen. We find that this is the only way that we can come as a ransom, justified, adopted, being sanctified sons of God. It is through the reconciliation that God, through His Son, provided between Himself and mankind. And so, we are then, I think, I think we are to defy all of Satan's imps, all of Satan's spokesmen, all of Satan's disguised men who come as angels of light, men who set forth anything. We should defy any man who sets forth anything which is contrary to this glorious gospel truth. Anything. Anything beyond being saved by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone, that all glory might go to God alone. Anything beside that, my friend, is blasphemy. And we should defy it. We must be certain in our own hearts, in our own selves, we must be certain that we truly have a King who put our salvation before His own life. And listen to me. Not profound, but true. He put our salvation before His own life, suffering all that was necessary for our redemption. Suffering all that was necessary for our redemption. Praise be to God. His concern was to redeem that which was lost. I have come to seek, to find, and to save that which has been lost. There would have been no hope for us if God's Son left us to our own state to our own plight. There would have been no hope for us. Have you ever experienced what God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, you have to some degree, experienced on this day? When you're reaching out with all your might and all your heart and all your love to someone wanting to help someone, nothing but to help someone, and that person says to you, Cecil Paul, go home. I don't want to hear it. I don't want you here today. I don't want your help. I just want to stay where I'm at, do what I'm doing. And all you want to do is reach out and take the person with all your heart and love them. And they say, I don't want to hear it. Counseling with people and you don't say to them what they want to hear. Have you ever known a broken heart like that? I don't. Just go home. I, I want to go to sleep. No, I'm not going to do that. I'll call somebody else. <laughs> That's something that 
the Lord Jesus Christ was feeling, knowing. And we hang on, don't we? For their sake, we don't go home. We stay with it. We stay with it. Just as our Lord was swallowed up in death. He was swallowed up in death. That is where our deliverance lies. And so, if God stretches out His hand to help us in our time of need, it is because Jesus Christ bore all these things with patient suffering. That's why. Our Lord, as it were, was forsaken by God that we might know that He watches over our salvation, always ready to help us when we ask. Always. I encourage you, friends, to arm yourself with this truth. Arm yourself with this, and it will enable you to stand in faith. Stand in faith against the trials which come when the devil attacks us. When he's trying to persuade us that God has left us as he was trying to persuade Jesus to the mouth of the scribes and the Pharisees and the chief priests as he hung there on the cross. When he's trying to persuade us that God has left us, that God has turned his back upon us and that it is pointless to hope in him. Hold on to this. Arm yourself with this truth. And at such times, that we face this, we should know that Jesus Christ is the perfect model for all believers. He shows us the path to follow and we see our need to be like Him. He allowed these things. He allowed these things and He steadfastly resisted and He so, in doing that, won the victory for us, for me, for you. So, let's follow Jesus. Follow the Lord Jesus Christ waiting maybe for the hour where God will stretch forth His arm and show that He's merciful to us and is our Father even if He allows us to be cast down for a while, even if we might be taking rods upon our back and being beaten and being cast into prison and have shackles on our feet and shackles on our hands and have a rock for a pillow. And everybody hates us. Even if He allows us to be cast down for a while, let us look to Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, we look there. And when we talk about sanctification, He is the model that we're, we want to be transformed into His likeness. Do we not? Yes. Yes. And there's, there's another taunt that was given. It says in verse 43, and I'm skipping some for sake of time. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. The King James says, or 
Let God deliver him now if he will have him. He trusted in him. He said, I'm the Son of God. That was a very, very, very deadly wound. Hurtful. Satan inflicted that as he tried to overturn the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. It hurt more than the crown of thorns. It hurt more than the lash on the back. It hurt his heart. It hurt his soul thinking about. It hurt all that he was in his humanity. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Our Lord Jesus Christ saved others. And he could have saved himself. Unless he preferred to put others before himself. Which he did. Did you hear that? We follow Christ. He preferred to put others before himself. Our model. That's the light that should shine from us. But I want us to go on to verse 44 now. Really where I want to get. (laughs) And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Also cast these same taunts in his teeth. You ever been hit in the mouth, in the teeth, piece of pipe, piece of knuckles, some knuckles, and felt that feeling was casting the teeth. The Holy Spirit was trying to get. The Holy Spirit is getting something over to us here. But I want us to look at Luke's account, Luke chapter twenty-three of this. We're looking at that. We find that it's a little different from Matthew's account where he says that both of the thieves railed against him and Luke says that just one of them did. They both both may have been railing and one of them came to his senses. That's what I like to think. Or it may just be a way of making a statement in Matthew. It's a plural when we're speaking of a child, we say, well, that's the way children do it. We may just be talking about Dom or Piper, one of the two. <clears throat> but it's significant for us to know that the Lord is mocked even by the thieves. The men on either side of him, hanging him between these two thieves was meant to make his death even more shameful than it already was. More disgrace heaped upon him. Being hung in this evil place, this Golgotha wasn't enough. The impression had to be given that he was the chief of thieves. 
Not worthy to be among men. The chief of thieves. That's why they hung him, placed him between the two thieves. Look how despicable he is. He was being numbered when that happened among the transgressors. The prophetic word of Isaiah is being fulfilled that Mark reminds us of. Isaiah 53.12 But I would suggest to you that if he had not been numbered, if he had not been numbered there, what would our place and our standing be in God's sight? If he hadn't been. But let's look at how Luke's story ends with these two thieves. <clears throat> Luke chapter 23, verse 39 One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Hearing it again. Save yourself and save us. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, Do you not fear God? Do you not fear God? since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our debts, but this man has done nothing wrong. Nothing wrong. One of these thieves rebukes the other thief. And he's saying to him, isn't it time that you humbled yourself? That you were humble? You're condemned and punished. You suffer justly for the things that you've done. You are accursed all of your life. You've been mindless. You've been enjoying your crimes. You've been enjoying your meanness and ugliness. But you need to start being sorrowful now. You've been caught. Anyone, however bad, who spent his life in, as a prodigal, spent his life for his own pleasure, regardless of how it hurts others, and not thinking he could be called to account at any moment, scorning justice, as long as he remains unpunished, will have to change his mind when he's arrested. He'll change his mind. Think you're getting away with it. Knew a couple of guys into the bottle too much in their brand new vehicle with a shotgun. Drink too much. Making circles. Hanging the shotgun out the window. Ha ha ha. Boom, boom, boom. People running everywhere. It's a big joke. Everybody, we're laughing. We're having a good time. We pull up to I say, wait, they, they pull up to the snack bar. They go, hey, we've got away with this. And all of a sudden, lights are flashing everywhere. And one of them looks to the other and says, there's the law, but the law already had him by the hair of the head dragging him out. And the other one turns and he looks out the door and there's another cop with his gun out saying, give me the gun. And you're hauled to the jailhouse. You've been arrested. Justice has caught up with you. You think you're going to get away with it. We're doing fine. Everything's okay. 
scorning justice. As long as you remain unpunished, the tune changes when you've been arrested. Whoa. You're facing this thing. Sale door slams on you. Well, says the thief to the other thief, you're in real torment. God and man, God and man, they're calling you into account. And surely your conscience is telling you that you are suffering for your crimes. Will you still go on defying God? Don't you fear God? That's what's going on here. You know, that proves something to us. That proves to us that this repentant thief has been taught by God's Spirit. And what a teacher he is. What a teacher the Holy Spirit is. He instructs those who are completely lost and senseless. This man was lost. This man was senseless. This man had one door, one foot into hell. Lost and senseless. But not only has he acknowledged his wrongs, not only has he humbly repented, but he also speaks as a teacher to this other thief, like a man who's been trained in Scripture, saying clearly, very clearly, the most important words that can ever be said to anyone who is hard of heart and is continuing to rail against God. The most important words. His words stripped this man of every excuse that he had. And though this warning didn't benefit this man, the other thief, as far as we can see, it should help us. It should help us. We learn to fear God. Or we should. Even though He spares us, we learn to fear Him as He spares us. But we learn to fear Him especially when He strikes us with His rod. And He will. Making us feel that we have wronged Him. We should be as this repentant thief. Even though we groan, we stay steadfast, patient in our afflictions. And we shouldn't rise up in pride and anger like this other man. And God, aren't you God? Didn't you say this? Don't you, why don't you save yourself and me? We see in these two men mirrors of the human race. That's what they are set before us. In this life that we live, we see the fruit of our sins which are ours by Adam's fall. Now, we're under God's curse and wrath. We're made liable to all the miseries of this life. 
to the pain of death, to hell itself. God, though, is merciful in His goodness, merciful goodness, overcomes this curse and shows Himself to be our Father in many, many different ways. We experience His love. We experience His gentleness. We experience His care for us. But we still bear many marks of our sinfulness. We're prone to illness of all kinds. We suffer from the heat. We suffer from the cold. Every one of us are troubled in one way or another. Every one of us seated in this place is troubled in one way or another. High or low, rich or poor, we were made to see that all are under the curse. Even the pain of death, which is an end that is common to us all. And we know that some are touched by God, that the afflictions they bear are effective toward their salvation, as said in Romans 8.28 and that Romans 8.29. We're told that those whom He foreknew, He predestined. Those whom He predestined, He called. In Romans 8.28, we're told that God causes all things to work together to the good for those who love Him and have been called according to His purpose. There's a calling of God in the midst of our afflictions bringing us to salvation. The afflictions we bear are effective toward salvation sometimes. Others, though, become worse in their afflictions. I know entire families, worse and worse they become. Not humbled, not repentant, they grow more and more and more bitter. These are things we know. So, knowing that, let's view these two thieves as a mirror for each of us, for all of us. From the greatest to the least, we're all guilty before God. We all suffer in common. And so, None of us can boast that we're innocent. None of us. We all suffer rightly for our sins. But we don't all confess them equally. Some, as I've already said, grow worse and worse. Rebelling against God. Gnashing their teeth. Foaming at the mouth. Foaming at the mouth with rage and cruel hatred of God and other people. And they will never accept their condemnation. And they are under condemnation, my friends. It is to those that are in Christ Jesus that are saved from condemnation 
For the law of the Spirit of life in Romans 8, 1 and 2 has set you free from the law of sin and death. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. And every man that is not in Christ Jesus is under condemnation. We know people, families, entire families, they grow worse and worse. They never accept this condemn. They never accept their condemnation. We have to accept that and cry out to God who delivers us, sets us free. But they're like a horse. They're like a horse that takes the bits between his teeth. You ever rode horses? You ever rode a horse that would take the bits between his teeth and not pay any attention to what you're doing? Showing such what we used to call or what we still call jug-headedness. You know what a jug-headed horse is? Like a jug-headed man. Jug-headedness. Won't pay attention to anything you're doing. So you put the bits in his mouth. You put cutting bits in his mouth. You put a curb under his chin. You put a tie down on his to under that to keep him from throwing his head back. And you put the cinch girt tighter and tighter. And you put a rear girt behind that. He's suffering all of this because he will not listen to what you're saying for him to do. He's jug-headed. And yet they still tear at the bits. I've had a horse like that Run away with me, me pulling with all my might and all my strength. I don't know how many times we break the tie down something with his head straight back, foaming at the mouth and harsh slobber going all over me. Jug-headedness. It's like saying to God, you'll never win over me. You'll never overpower me. Daddy told me when my mother, when he bought that horse for me, and she saw what it was doing, that horse to kill that boy. Mother, Daddy said, oh, no, he'll make a cowboy out of <laughs> But, we've got another mirror here. When the sinner, when the sinner owns up, like this man has done. When he humbles himself. When he confesses his debt. Confesses his debt. And gives glory to God. And admits that God deals justly with him. When that happens, he says, Lord, it's been right that I be punished. And he cries out without even looking up. Oh God, forgive me. Have mercy on me, a sinner. I thought it was appropriate to my sermon this morning when I asked Brother Bill, how are you today? He said, I'm well. I'd be better if I wasn't a sinner. (laughs) He sees it. He hates it. He yields to the one who has laid his hand upon him. 
God, have mercy on me, a sinner. When a man comes to his senses, we can be sure that is God's hand touching him by His Holy Spirit. And when that happens, you see infinite goodness rescuing from hell and utter destruction those who were without hope. Ephesians chapter 2. Remember, that's where you were. Let's let's look at it. Just look at Ephesians chapter 2 with me for for just just a second. I, I know you can probably even quote this verse, but maybe you can't. For those of you who can't, Paul's telling you to remember something. Now I'm reminding you of things that you know. He says to this group of Gentiles in verse 11 of chapter 2 of the book of Ephesians, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, you who once had no hope, you who were once were without God, you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's the description of men in this world who have not, no, not God, who are strangers to the covenant of promise. They are people who have no hope because they are without God. And when a man comes to his senses, it's the infinite goodness of God that rescues him from that place of hopelessness. Ah, my heart thrills. It really does. It sings when I look at this example of the repentant thief that has faith that has been given to him by God. Faith, a marvel. This man is a marvel. This man is a miracle of grace. I know that we all are, but oh goodness, think about it. Consider his situation. Consider his plight. He's close to death. He's suffering torment that is awful, indescribable. Torture that is so bitter, so terrifying as to make you lose your mind. Either nailed to the cross, hands and feet, or tied. Either way, if he raises himself up in the heat, he can't, his muscles begin to contract and he can't hold himself up. Then he lets himself down. His lungs begin to run out of air. Have you ever run out of air? Have you ever got choked and couldn't get your air? <gasps> you miss that breath. That's the torment and the torture that's going on with this man. He's waiting. He's waiting for someone to come and to break his bones. To dismember him. He wants that to happen. He knows what it means to be crucified. He wants it to happen so that he can have the release of death. 
He's waiting for that. And He sees our Lord Jesus Christ hanging there like Him, suffering, suffering an even greater disgrace. But what does He say? He acknowledges His sin. Humbly He does that before God. And He also assumes the role of a teacher, as I've already said, trying to bring the other thief to the right path. That's very important. That's what a true believer does. He humbly or she humbly repents before God. And you know the next thing that happens? And it continues to happen throughout your life. You begin to tell somebody about Jesus. You're like the man who had legions. Who's been set free. And Christ tells him, go And tell everybody in Decapolis what wonderful things God has done for you. That I have done for you. That the Lord has done for you. And so He did throughout the entire region. And so will you. I remember when I got saved, the men that were thieves and drunks and such with me, I went to them. I couldn't wait to go to them. My best friends, I couldn't wait to get to them and tell them the wonderful things that Jesus had done for me. And if that's not in you to do that, you're not a Christian. I don't care how many churches you go to, how wet you get, how much catechism you know, there's the love of Christ for Christ the hope of glory that is in you, that drives you to your brother's side, that causes you to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Aren't you glad somebody told you? Aren't you glad somebody got in the way? Aren't you glad somebody just kept on with it? Was a bump in the road for you? Don't give up on them if they're not listening to you. Keep talking. Keep living the life in front of them. Humbled, repentant, sin. And he's telling people. The first thing he did, he is enabled by God to tell this guy what he needed to hear. But not only that, he also made a confession when looked at, deserved, I think, to be go, go beyond all other confessions. Read it in light of what I'm saying to you again. Verse 40, but the other, this is the repentance thief, rebuked him saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we, listen, we indeed justly, we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. The wages of our sin, we are being paid in full. And he said... This man, speaking of Jesus, has done nothing wrong. And he makes this statement. 
Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That brings us, or it brings me to a question, doesn't it? How could, how could this man conceive in Jesus Christ the idea of a kingdom? How could he possibly think of this man been king in a kingdom. Our Lord is hanging on the tree. He's cursed by God and man. The chief priest, the scribes, they're all reviling Him. This man's from Jerusalem. He may have even been a Jew. He knows what Deuteronomy chapter 21, 22, verses 22 through 23 says. Cursed is every man that hangs on a tree. Cursed. And when the man sees Jesus cursed by God, cursed by man, and in human terms, just looking at Him in human terms in a place of utter despair, I would say to you that it is only through the faith and by the Spirit that He could fix on the idea that Jesus Christ was King. It was only by the operation of the Holy Spirit. Right there. Well, in spite of all the things around him, all the things that might make him think that Jesus wasn't the Son of God, in spite of the atheist saying he's not, and the agnostic saying I don't know, and the the scientist saying this and that, and this group of Supposed to be Christians saying that, and these priests saying that, and these scribes saying that. In spite of all those things around him, he still calls him king. Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, he sees him as Lord, even in death. Remember me, he says, and I will be blessed. We should follow the example of this thief. This man. He's a sound teacher. We can learn from him. Let's not be ashamed. Let's not be ashamed to be disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ in all circumstances and in every situation, even when no one else wants to be, even when everybody else wants you not to be, even when everybody doesn't want to hear the truth. The miseries of this life, my friends, should not hinder us from coming to Him. We are to bear them patiently. And this thief, his prayer was granted even though he couldn't avoid suffering. He couldn't avoid it, could he? He couldn't avoid suffering. He couldn't avoid a hard and dreadful, agonizing death. May we so prize the spiritual grace that's given to us in our Lord and offered to us in His Word 
the word of the gospel. May we so prize this that we may be enabled to overcome all the worries, all the griefs, all the troubles and assaults that we meet. For you will meet assaults. You will be troubled in this life. May all our afflictions be tempered by the knowledge that everything can be made to work for our good and for our salvation through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's something we need to clearly understand. A truth we hold on to. Never forget our Lord's reply to the thief. Well, today, you shall be with me in paradise. Verse 43. We know that our Lord suffered in the weakness of His flesh. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. We know that He suffered for sins to clear us of our debt before God and that He rose to justify us. Romans 4, 25 and Romans 5 tells us that He was lifted up for our transgressions. He was raised again for our justification and that we might now, being justified by faith, have peace with God. Raised for that. Knowing these things, knowing this, my friends, we should come freely to Him with ready hearts. I would pray today with readier hearts than you had before you got here. Readier hearts. And since He knows us, and since He hides us under the shadow of His wings, when we come to Him like this, we're able to defy Satan, death, and the misfortunes that come against us. We glory in our very weakness. Never forget that. What did Paul say that he had in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9-10? through 10? <laughs> There was a demon sent to torment him that was a thorn in the flesh. He besought God three times for it to go, but it never did. And in that weakness, the strength of God in him was perfected. Read it. Read it. In the eyes of men, in the eyes of the world, we may be wretches. You will be. In the eyes of the world, we're not many wise, not many mighty, not many noble after the flesh. In the eyes of the world, we might be unkind maybe or too straight and narrow. too tied to absolutes. They may call us wretches. And that could come very quickly in this nation we're living in. But let us rejoice, still rejoice in God. Let us rejoice in the taste which by faith He gives us of the heavenly life and of the inheritance that He purchased at such a dear price for us. We talked about it Friday night. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
who according to His great mercy, abundant mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead that we might obtain an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, and one that does not fade away because it is kept for us by the power of God through faith. And so we rejoice. Joy unspeakable, full of glory, full of glory. Bought at a dear price. And we have a hope, according to Hebrews 6, verses 13 through 20, that can never disappoint us. And so, my prayer for you this morning is a prayer of Paul for the church of Rome in Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Amen. Amen. Brother Bill, we're going to sing our last song. Be hymn number Psalm 91. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before his presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Amen.